Uh, today we're going to wrap up our series, Jesus Is, and as we wrap up this series, we're also looking ahead uh, to, to what's to come. Uh, Advent begins next week. Believe it or not, Christmas is right around the corner, right? And so we're, we're preparing for that and we're gearing up for that. Uh, we're going to, you know, moving toward the birth of Jesus and reflect upon what that means for us as individuals, as a community of believers, uh, as a community, as a world, and, and the impact that that has. Uh, today, uh, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at Jesus is Christ. Uh, and so in the, the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 16, and, and we're going to look at Jesus and, and look at how not only uh, will we learn more about who he is, but we'll look at how he, his life is a pattern for our life. It's the pattern that we are to follow for our life so that we can not only just know more about him, but we can become more like him. And it's our prayer today that you will discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And as you leave here today, you will know two things. Number one, that God loves you. More than anything else, he loves you. And that we love you as well, and we want to walk in relationship with each other as we uh, try to navigate this path of life uh, together. Um, one of the things we do uh, in, in life, we do it in church uh, as well, is we, we have this time where we interact with each other, right? Uh, it's interesting to me that during our meet and greet time, and I'm not going to call you out, but you know who you are, you try to show up right after the meet and greet time happens because you hate it so much, right? And you don't have to raise your hand, but you can raise your inner hand. You know who you are, right? And then there's other people who really enjoy it. Because what do we, what do, we do during that time? What do, what do you do? You talk, you shake hands, and what do you usually say? How you doing, right? We ask those questions, right? How you doing? Did you have a good Thanksgiving, right? I took a mental note of the different uh, questions I was asked just this morning. Uh, is that your parents? That was one of the questions. Yes, they're here. Was that Carissa? Yes, she was here. She's leaving. <laughs> Sorry. Um, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. So what do you do with all that leftover turkey, right? That was one of those things, and one of those questions that, that I had and I was wondering about. Um, are you ready for Christmas? Did you realize Christmas is right around the corner? There's all kinds of questions we ask each other, right? And then if we start thinking about questions that we ask, the questions change over the course of our life, don't they? Uh, you start uh, ask different people different questions. You, you might ask, how is school at one point in your life? And, and where are you going to go to college? What's your major? Uh, when do you graduate? How's the job search going? Did you set a, set a date? It, how's married life? How's the new job? How's the new place? How are the kids doing, right? We have all these questions. The questions change, but we always have questions for each other. And then we have questions that we will ask ourselves, and we have to reflect on those as well. What do I want to do with my life? Or, what am I doing with my life? Well, what is this world going to be like for the next generation? Uh, how did I end up here? You ever ask yourself that question? What happens when I die? That's a question we ask, right? Well, why does God allow such horrific and, and devastating things and events to happen? There, there's some questions that are easy to answer. Others that are more difficult. Some questions we are asked, we, we can answer very quickly because it's easy. And others we have to really think about. We have to think through. And, and some questions that we either are asked or we ask ourselves, they just seem to have no real answer. And we're left with more questions than answers. In our text today, we find Jesus with his disciples. And he asks them two uh, different but very similar and related questions. And we're going to find those two questions in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, 
beginning in verse 13. And I, I want to read this text to you. I invite you to follow along in your Bible, or it'll, it'll be on the screen behind me. The text says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, it's a fascinating thing that's happening here in this text in Matthew chapter 16. And, and to give this account a little bit of context, if we go to Matthew's gospel and, and we, we start looking at what's going on on both sides of this, we find that Matthew has been sharing how Jesus and the disciples had been spending time in and around the, the area of Galilee. Jesus had been performing uh, uh, miracles and telling parables, teaching the growing crowds about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you flip back a few chapters, you see Jesus telling stories and parables about how the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that's sown in a field. Some grow and some do not. It's like a mustard seed that is small but powerful. It's like yeast that mixes itself through the entire dough and it affects the whole and entire batch. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and you give up everything to attain it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that catches all kinds of fish and the good ones are kept and the bad ones are not. And then as we roll through those things that Jesus is teaching and doing and talking about, we arrive in the middle of chapter 16 and we see a change in Jesus' ministry. We begin to see the movement from Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee and his interaction with the various people and the miracles and the, and the, the, the teachings and things. And now he's moving toward Jerusalem. Toward Jerusalem where he will be arrested, he will be tried, and he will be crucified. And one of the major changes we see is Jesus' approach to his teaching. He goes from teaching the crowds and the groups of people to now focusing a lot of his attention on the training and the instructions, specifically of the disciples. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, okay, guys, I need to make sure you are properly equipped for what is to come next in this ministry. And in this text, we find Jesus and the disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is a region that's located near the, the base of Mount Hermon. If you have that geography in your, in your mind, if you don't, then you're just going to go, you know, whatever. But it's about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee and about 100 miles from Jerusalem. And the reason this is important is because this region of the country was known for its wide diversity of religions that were present there. We know that Herod the Great built a temple of white marble to his predecessor there to honor him. The ancient Canaanites made this area the center of Baal worship, while the Greeks and the Romans, they both built sanctuaries and various shrines there because of the Cave of Pan. Now, inside the Cave of Pan was this seemingly bottomless pit that contained an unlimited quantity of water, and people came from all over the region to see this because they were amazed at this you know, never-ending pool of water. And it was also in this site and in this spot where they constructed what is known as 
the gate of Hades. Okay? So kind of take all that, put it in your memory bank, because that's going to play an important role in, in just a few moments as to what we discover from the text. And it's also in this area that Jesus, standing there, we don't know exactly where, but probably in sight of these things, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And I have to think that at various times the disciples tried to categorize Jesus, right? Tried to figure him out. Because what category do you put a guy in who, who you know, he teaches in parables that are sometimes hard to understand? He heals the sick. He, he hangs out with the sinners and the tax collectors. He is constantly getting into arguments with the religious leaders and making them really mad, right? He has people that just approach him and ask him questions often. He draws a crowd everywhere he goes. What category do you put someone like that in? And so they do what we still do today. When we find somebody like that, what do we do? We compare them with people that we've known in the past, right? People that we are familiar with. And so that's what they do. The people in the region said, well, we, we think he might be John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was seen as kind of a, a prophet, if you will, a forerunner to Christ. He spent time out in the wilderness teaching and baptizing. People came from all over the region to find out what he had to say about the the coming kingdom of God and the one that would usher in that kingdom. So some people thought he was John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. Now why Elijah? Well, uh, Elijah, because Jesus seemed to be in the same nature as Elijah. Some of the miracles Jesus performed reminded the people of the stories that had been passed down as to what Elijah was able to do and his amazing abilities and some of the things he did. And then they said, well, you could be Jeremiah. That's what other people thought. Uh, He was one of the prophets. Uh, Jeremiah foretold of the new covenant of the coming of the Lord and uh, how the Lord would come in righteousness. The interesting thing about Jeremiah was he was known as the weeping prophet. And so Jesus was identified as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So they made that connection and said, well, maybe he is Jeremiah, right? So that that connection people made uh, because of the way Jesus was identified. And then still others identified Jesus as one of the prophets. And while this is more vague, those who identified Jesus in this capacity were probably impressed with Jesus' works They were impressed with his words, uh, but they could not bring themselves to acknowledge that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And so that's the response the disciples gave. Here's what the people in the region, in the area, here's what they're saying about you. And then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And I wonder if when Jesus asked this question and we read this question, in our minds do we think, well, why is Jesus giving them a test? right? Is Jesus testing them right here? Is he kind of saying, okay, boys, uh, you've been with me long enough that you should know the correct answer to this question, and if you do not know the correct answer to this question, I'm just going to have to get myself some new disciples and start over, right? Is that, is that, no, I don't think that's what's happening here. Jesus says, who am I? Who do you think? Who do you say? Who do you believe that I am? Most of us would probably align ourselves with Peter's answer, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. But Jesus is not giving them a test as if to see if what they have learned. Instead, I would suggest that Jesus is asking his disciples not what they know, but what they believe. He's asking them, what do you believe? How in tune to what the Holy Spirit has been doing through this ministry are you? What is at the core of your existence? What do you truly believe? 
It was not so much what was in their head, but what was in their heart. That's what Jesus was, was asking them. Uh, for the Jews, when they spoke of the heart, uh, what they really meant was their gut, right? The way we say heart today, you know, our emotions come from our heart, and the heart breaks, and the heart wants what the heart wants. They, they thought, saw it as your gut, right in the center of your being, okay? So everything was in the center of them. Uh, because it, it, it's just not enough uh, for us to, to have a heart but the whole self. And so the Jews really focused in on the center, the core of their existence. And Jesus was asking them, what is at the core of your existence? What do you truly believe? What is in the gut? Because it's not nearly enough to to give the right answer about who Jesus is, but we are to reveal that answer to the question by the way we live our life and the words you say and the actions you take. Those are the marks of a disciple. As Jesus, as Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. That makes sense, right? Jesus goes on, he says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, in his center, in his core, in his gut. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, his core, his center. For out of the overflow of the heart, your core, your center, the mouth speaks. We are known by the fruit that our lives produce. And what's interesting is if we stop and think about it, we we all have some sort of conviction in our life that causes us to produce fruit, that which is at the core of who we are. Our convictions give us stability and a foundation from which we build our life. It gives us direction. It it shapes who we are and who we are becoming. Uh, What we often see happen in people's lives is that uh, it's often a spouse or your children or friends or other relationships uh, tend to become the center of someone's life. Or, or it could be things become the center. Or, or it could be experiences. It could be a belief. It could be an opinion. It could be a prejudice. Even anger and fear can be at the center of our lives. What can be at the center of our lives is any number of things, both good things as well as not so good things. That's what can be truly at the center of us. That which is at the center of our life has either the ability to propel us and to move us forward and cause us to grow, or it can cause us to be stuck and to be immobilized and stagnant. And often in life, we unintentionally settle for things that are not what should be at the center of our life. We settle for something other than Jesus. Because Jesus is what is supposed to be at the center of our life. That's what we've been called to do. Put Jesus at the center. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your center, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. All of who you are. And when we do that, it doesn't mean that there won't be difficulties or loss or pain. It simply means that when life happens to us and we face those trials in life, that we have God at the center of who we are, a firm foundation, a conviction, a belief that will endure. I had this conversation with someone this week. Uh, They shared what was going on in their life that was very difficult and hard to handle, and they were seeking God in it. And and, uh, through it all, they shared that it was because of Jesus and their faith in him that was helping them through this very difficult time in their life, that that's what kept them grounded and centered. Now, the reason I bring this up, and I've talked about it in this way, is because we need to kind of figure out what is at the center of your life. 
Because what is at the center of your life, what is at the center of anything, is seen as very important. It was especially important to the Jews. And I'm going somewhere with this, so hold on with me, okay? In the Jewish Midrash, which is the rabbinic uh, teaching and preaching of the Scripture, it is said that Israel was the center of the world, all right? So think about that for a minute. Israel is the center of the world. At the center of Israel is Jerusalem. At the center of Jerusalem is the temple. At the center of the temple is the holy place. At the center of the holy place is the Ark of the Covenant. And at the center of the Ark of the Covenant is the presence and the glory of God. So the presence and the glory of God is at the center of what? The world. Yeah, you got that, right? It's at the center, according to the Jewish Midrash, their teaching is Jesus or God is at the center of everything. And here's where it really starts to become fascinating, at least it did for me. I'm indebted to Mike Marsh, who shared uh, in his article on Peter's confession that beneath the Ark of the Covenant, that which was supporting the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, where the presence and the glory of God is, was what? A rock. Right? Hold on to that little piece for just a second, right? The rock upon which all that other stuff was resting. And this causes the imagery of the Midrash to take us deeper and deeper into the center of the center of what Jesus is actually doing when he's asking these questions of the disciples. When he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? In his first question, he's asking the disciples to look around and say, what do the people out here, the people in this region of Caesarea Philippi, the the region where you see all these shrines and things, who do people out here say that I am and then he says I want you to go deeper disciples I want to ask you the question who do you say that I am look within yourself and discover who or what is at the center of your life and it's the same thing he calls for us to do today he asks us the question who or what is at the center of our lives and as believers we are called to put Christ at the center to make sure that that every day we are continually recentering our lives on him Peter answers Jesus's second question with you are the Christ the son of the living God and yet it is more than just an answer to the question by proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ Peter brought in the entirety of the Old Testament teachings in which God promised the ancient Israelites that a Messiah would come and would deliver them from their bondage, deliver them from sin. This Old Testament idea of the Messiah is carried over into the New Testament with the title Christ. So when Peter calls Jesus the Christ, with those words, he's not only recentering his life and showing the foundation upon which his life is built, he's also saying that this is the foundation upon which the very presence of God and his glory is built. Jesus is Christ, brings together the the entirety of the teachings of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of a Savior, of a Messiah, of an anointed one. And I hope that gets you just a little bit excited about what's happening here in this text. Jesus responds to Peter by saying, you know what, Peter? You're right. And you know how right you are? Because on this rock, The rock of the truth that Jesus is the Christ. On that I will build my church. That which supports the presence and the glory of God is the truth of the presence of Jesus being Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus goes on to tell them how the gates of Hades. Now where is he? 
He's standing there. They can probably see it at this point. He's saying the gates of Hades, even the things that the people around in this region worship, all those things that are seen as powerful and spiritual and religious, they will not overcome what is going to happen through you, my disciples. And what's Jesus going to do? What's he say? He says, on this rock, on this truth, I will build my church. And what's fascinating, if you stop and think about it, is in all of our human frailties, right, in all the ways we mess it up continually, Jesus chooses human life and human relationships on which to build upon that rock. He did not miraculously set up the church. I think it would have been much easier had he. Instead, He said, I'm going to build it through you. I'm going to entrust that to you, Peter, to you, the disciples, to all believers, and that includes you and that includes me. And as we seek to build his church, as we seek to build his kingdom, we are called to recenter our lives on Christ. It's something we have the opportunity to do each and every day of our life through the ups and the downs and the good times and the bads. It's not something that we can just do one time and say, okay, we're good and and be done with it. It's something we are continually doing. It's also something that that we will not always get right. At, At least I don't, and I trust that you probably don't always get it right either. We have good examples of how not to get it right. Look at Peter, right? Peter is is the guy that Jesus is talking to right now, and yet when when we look at at Peter, here he gets it right, but Peter doesn't always get it right. Peter was the one to whom Jesus said, you have little faith. Peter doesn't understand the parables Jesus is teaching and has to kind of raise his hand and go, I I don't get it. Can you explain that to me, right? He, He gets angry. Peter speaks before he thinks. He argues with Jesus to the point that Jesus calls him Satan, He falls asleep when Jesus asks him to pray. He denies knowing Jesus not just once but three times. And yet through it all, through all these experiences, Peter was being shaped and formed and molded into the rock that Jesus knew him to be. In the end, Peter was crucified because of his faith and because he built his life upon Jesus. He followed. He loved. And he did that because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And as we consider the interaction that we have with Jesus, we have this opportunity to answer the question, who do you say that I am? It's a question that Jesus is asking each and every one of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? And the challenge that is before us is not just to answer the question, right? But to actually live the answer to discover who God is calling us to be and and how he is calling us to live. To live with hope in the midst of despair. To love your neighbor as yourself. To know that love is stronger than hate. To care for the poor, to feed the hungry, defend the oppressed. To offer forgiveness despite your anger. To know and share truth while you are promoting grace. To love your enemies despite your fear. To deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. To practice generosity, to pray, to stand, to be the rock upon which The church can be built. And so I ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? And it's a question that we invite you to respond to this morning. To proclaim or to confess for the first time that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior and to enter into a relationship with Him that begins now and blends into eternity. And if you are a believer here this morning, as lovingly as I can say this, and I, and I tell you often, I preach to me and invite you to listen. 
we cannot merely proclaim Jesus is the Christ and rest in that. And please hear me on this. This is, this is not a matter of salvation. It's not about doing good work so that God can be happy with you. It, it's just a matter of producing fruit. When we claim Jesus as Christ, we are to live our lives accordingly and produce good fruit. It comes back full circle to how we kicked off this series several weeks ago, talking about how Jesus is Lord. And if he's truly Lord of our life, then we have been called, we have been invited to live our lives in such a way that brings him glory and honor, to share truth and grace with other people so that they too can discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, and they can proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God as well. Proclaiming that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he is Christ, that he is the one that we center our lives upon is something we strive to do each and every day of our life. And it's something that we, we try to slow down and we focus on when we participate in communion as a body of believers each and every week together. When we take of the bread which represents his body and we drink of the juice which represents his blood, we are saying that we, we proclaim his death and we're proclaiming what he has done for us, his amazing love for us until he returns to take us to be with him someday. And it's something that we have the opportunity to do each and every week. In just a few moments, the ushers are going to pass the trays. They're going to, to pass the trays which contain the bread and contain the juice. And we invite you to partake of that, to take of the bread, to take of the juice, to, to have those emblems and to hold them. And when you're ready to eat and to drink and to celebrate and to recenter your life on Christ and on Christ alone, we invite you to proclaim him as, as the Christ, the son of the living God, and allow that to, to penetrate your heart, your life, your soul. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank you. We thank you that, that you are Christ. We thank you that you are Savior, that you are Lord. Jesus, we, we thank you for your willingness to come and, and to, to put on human flesh and, and to be like us. To experience what we experience so that you can identify with us in our weakness. And you give us hope and life. A life that begins today. And so Father, as we as we focus in on you and as we celebrate and remember what you've done for us, would you help us to remove all the other distractions and to, to be uh, truly here and truly present with you? Thank you for being with us. Thank you that your presence is here. May we recognize it and move with you accordingly. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
as we partake of communion, we respond to what the Lord is doing in our life. And if you're here today and you've, you've never proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that, to begin walking with Him in a relationship that maybe is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Maybe for you, it, you've accepted Him, but maybe your life just hasn't resembled that, and, and you need to, to rededicate your life and say, uh, not that I'm going to try harder, but we're going to surrender more. We're going to allow the Spirit to, to come within us and to, to change us and transform our life from the inside out. And maybe you want someone to pray with you and to encourage you and just to walk with you. As a body of believers, that's one of the things we believe we get to do with each other is to encourage one another and to lift each other up and uh, pray for each other, and just be there. And so this morning, if you want to talk to someone about what the Lord's doing in your life, if you want to, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, if you want to talk about what it means to be obedient in baptism and to begin to just walk in your life uh, with the Lord, we would love to have the opportunity to share that with you. There's going to be members of the, the prayer team uh, over by the cross and, and members of the leadership team over by the cross, and we'd love to receive you and to pray with you. As we sing this song together, if you want to talk to someone, we invite you just to make your way over there. Stand with me. Let's sing as we worship, as we respond to what the Lord's doing in our lives today.